Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to uh, the second hour of Amplify, where our guest is Errol Johnson. He has written a book titled Finding Comfort During Hard Times. Uh, in the book, he'll tell you so much about what you need to be prepared for and how to deal with it, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. Um, contents of a disaster kit uh, from ready.gov, additional emergency supplies, and uh, just so much uh, that uh, comes from the mind, his mind in helping, having experienced so much, but so much that comes from the heart and the soul because he points out that for a chaplain, feeding the hungry can also be viewed as sacramental while at the same time in natural disasters, and that's one of the title, one of the titles, titles of one of the chapters that he writes, he points out that disasters are not, not entertainment, um, but new meteorology science um, can predict where major hurricanes are going to make landfall, and so science and technology have revolutionized weather forecasting. That helps us to be more prepared, and uh, and there are, there are alerts now, but, but people have to determine well, are we going to stay or are we going to go? What causes more more harm? But, uh, Earl, not everybody, and you made some reference to it earlier, who responds to a disaster is there to help the victims and survivors, are they? Uh, no, unfortunately not. And um, we have uh, a number of folks um, that are legitimate um, and uh, one of the ways to um, tell whether someone is is uh, uh, potentially uh, um, doing harm is, you know, first of all, ask if they're a member of an organization. It can be national or it can be local. Um, and do they have any specialized training in disaster? Uh, have they been oriented to the disaster? Do they know what they're going into? Um, have they been specially invited to come to this particular um, disaster? And asking, you know, even local clergy can ask these questions because a lot of times um, uh, there's the assumption that, um, uh, you know, uh, hospitality is boundless and that there are no limits on on need, so uh, uh, the more the merrier. And uh, we've seen how uh well intentioned people can clog the pipeline from getting goods and services to the people who really need it and uh it it's just one of those things uh uh because it's hard for people uh 
to see these images on TV and they want to help and they want to do something. Um, but uh, uh, there's something about jumping in the car and going. Um, there's also something about being able to write a check um, where the money can go where it's most needed. Um, but these are all issues that, that uh, you know, sort of uh, make disaster response very, very complex. Uh, you in, you write about uh, managing comfort, and you've been talking just a little bit about it right now, that how does one select the best persons to provide comfort after a disaster? And and you refer to managing volunteers is, is sacred work, uh, that spiritual care professionals know when to refer to uh, mental health and that hospice chaplains are better prepared to deal with many of the situations, and chaplains know how to be with persons of all major faith traditions as well as those who claim no faith tradition. But you also point out that there is nothing like a disaster to bring out the best and the worst in people. Why is that? Well, it's such an intense event, and it it pushes us. Um, it takes us to a new reality, a new norm, um, and and uh, uh, it's it's the intensity because there's also the impact, which is traumatic, and and so uh, there's a heroic phase uh, where where people, you know, can lift cars off of. Um, uh, injured and and you know the spotlight is on and then you know there are other uh, phases but it it just uh, it's an intense uh, uh, moment and and it's also a shock to to hear what has transpired or something else is going to transpire um, but uh, uh, it does bring out the best and worst in people. Yeah, some suffer from <clears throat> compassion fatigue, uh, and you write the justice personalities may clash with the added stress from that disaster and accompanying pressure to help people. Feelings may be hurt or abused. The pressure to comfort sometimes becomes just pressure. Emotions may already be raw and wounds fresh from loss of life and compelling stories of rescue and survival. Prior abuse and trauma may cause volunteers to act out, and again, close supervision and communication is vital to ensure the safety of disaster clients, but also disaster volunteers. Being humanitarian and responding to humanitarian disasters is altruism at its best. Predatory behavior on these operations is the worst, and in some cases may be criminal Stress is no excuse. Dying to be loved? Question mark. Try volunteering for one's church or temple or talk to a counselor. Take care of your own needs first before deciding to volunteer. And in 9-11, you had to select some of those people. You helped in that process, didn't you? I did. And... Uh... Uh, we had over 3,000 clergy that, that uh, showed up in New York City 
that wanted to work in the family assistance center and be available for counseling or you know where the uh, meals were being served or uh, supporting the uh, mortuary operations but out of these 3,000 only 800 were selected um, because it was such an extreme event that it called upon for a higher credential set uh, implying that that those people that uh, had a degree in theology or mental health uh, knew how to to comfort uh, people uh, as opposed to um, you know someone coming in off the street as if uh, that that could have happened, but recruiting trained competent professionals. Uh, training them, you know, making sure that, that they're screened, that they don't have any um, ulterior motives for showing up, like they're not, you know, uh, uh, trying to build up their counseling practice. Uh, it, it just, you can't imagine what you encounter. But I always go back, uh, Father Ron, to this is sacred work. Um, management is sacred, but um you know, serving our fellow um, man and and is is to me um, it's sacred. And uh, uh, even though I worked for a big humanitarian organization, even though I had to be neutral for over ten years, um, uh, it still didn't change um, uh, who I was. But also, it helped me work as a member of a team. And uh, uh, that's also not to be discounted uh, throughout all this complexity and all these themes that uh, uh, we're going through this evening. And uh, some of uh, the uh, reasons why, or one of the reasons why um, these people who want to help uh, must be prepared and trained properly are, is because you point out that high pressure highly highly successful response operations can cause catastrophic health issues among those who respond to such disasters very true um i'm i'm not uh, breaching any kind of patient confidentiality but uh disaster work is very stressful and uh uh, there were a number of cardiac events um, in disaster response um, just because of the long hours and the different types of pressure. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, poor diet, uh, not enough sleep, et cetera, it, 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 it makes you far more susceptible um, to having some kind of injury or breakdown. And there is a mantra. Tell us a little bit about the meaning of the mantra, stay, pray, pay. Well, uh, it, this is a hard one. Uh, it's, it's hard because it's so uh, simple. Um, when we first hear about a disaster, it's sort of sit and collect ourselves, collect our thoughts, pray, um, ask for divine guidance. What should I do? How can I help? Um, and then 
the majority of times, unless you have the specialized training or these special competencies, the best thing you can do oftentimes is is uh, uh, make a small donation or, or large donation um, because then uh, it can be used for things that are really needed uh, as opposed to uh, being inundated with clothes or foodstuffs that need to be sorted uh, uh, and uh, sometimes uh, are not able to get to the people that really need them. Mm. Um, some of the ways um, uh, to comfort that you uh, a list under this heading, uh, under the heading of managing comfort are play music that's light and uplifting, find some sunlight to sit in. I'm just moving around to all of them. Uh, remind others to take their medication silently say a gratitude prayer, silently give a blessing, find beauty where you are and call attention to it, help remember and develop rituals of meaning, give glory, give something. So uh, giving is what it's what it's about more than anything else, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and that, that, uh, acknowledging that we are all God's creation, and many of us have been ordained with so many different gifts and skills um, that you are enough sometimes uh, uh, to serve and, and uh, uh, to be there. And, and, and uh, it, it just, uh, this, this list is part of reflections of taking care of yourself, um, but it's also uh, a prelude to taking care of others. We've been talking about uh, natural disasters and um, uh, those things that have, with which mankind, humankind, has been afflicted. Uh, but there are everyday traumas you write about. Tell us about some of the um, everyday traumas that uh, we face in life. Well, um, the first one that comes to mind is divorce, um, and it just uh, is so traumatic for, for those because, you know, when you and I have counseled uh, young couples before they got married, uh, everything seems to be hunky-dory, and, and, uh, and you can't imagine how two people can grow apart. Um, and this is also uh, uh, just uh, uh, horrendous uh, uh, suffering on on the part of the spouses uh, generally, and uh, uh, it's 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 traumatic to go through a divorce, and it's traumatic for the children, it's traumatic for the uh, greater family, um, and I say it, you know, it's traumatic for those institutions you're a part of, whether it's the church or whether it's the school, um, because, um, you know, we're, we're called um, uh, to, 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 we're called to love one another, and if, if that is the case, then um, um, things like spouse abuse, uh, things like uh, violence against men and women, um, issues uh, uh, of, of uh, 
child abuse, um, all of those things um, uh, are, are, are really um, unacceptable and uh, are, are disasters within themselves. Um, I was working in the emergency room in Brooklyn, and a, a young boy came in, and his father had had, had thrown a, a, a bone at him, like a large dog's bone, and hit him on the head, and he was traumatized. But, uh, you know, uh, we hope and pray that these things uh, don't happen, but they do. And um, some of the ways to comfort, take care of yourself? Be part of a team of comforters assessing your community's emotional health. You don't have to comfort everybody. Be curious and respectful. Give affirmation to others who may be comforters. Take time to remember special people in your life. Never lose your sense of awe and wonder as it will lift your emotions and spirits. Laughter can be comforting and defy fear. Celebrate the good times, know what's special, and claim your authority. To mourn is to remember the love. Comfort is always valued. Select one of these and amplify on it just a little bit. Well, um, the second one about uh, being a member of a team you have to be mindful that you don't have to do everything yourself. And um, whether it was the Haiti earthquake or whatever, I worked with a mental health professional, a, a, a nurse, a caseworker, and and a, a mental health professional um, when we were doing a repatriation of remains uh, of, of those Americans that had died in the earthquake. And it was good to have... Uh, four other colleagues in the room um, supporting one another, each with a specific task. Um, and then we would call the chapter and work with the chapter uh, um, uh, through their process of actually contacting the family. But again, this whole idea that being in an integrated care team um, uh, you don't have to do everything yourself. You don't have to know everything. Um, you don't have to uh, be the lead on everything. Uh, and uh, um, uh, just remember, um, be a part of the team. And um, you don't believe that we should compare disasters. Why is that? Well, you automatically get into trouble. <laughs> Good reason. You say, like, oh, my disaster was bigger and bad or, or bigger and worse than, uh, excuse my grammar, um, than yours. And and uh, it, it's not, a, um, not to be compared because you've been to one disaster, you've experienced one disaster, that disaster is unique. It may have some of the characteristics of another disaster you've been a part of, but you need to be focused. You need to be clear uh, that this is another hurricane, and what happened during the one before this one may not happen 
during this one. So so don't compare disasters because also people are human and sometimes they will get hurt um, uh, because uh, they will feel that you're not taking uh, their pain, their suffering seriously enough or uh, uh, discounting uh, the amount of pain and suffering that they've endured or are enduring. When we come back uh, after this uh, next break, we're going to talk about uh, families and comfort, about uh, children and disaster, and show how comforting is showing mercy, and then also the future of uh, comfort, that we comfort because we care, we comfort because we love. We'll be back after this break. Welcome back to uh, the final 20 minutes, a little more than 20 minutes of Amplify with our guest, Earl Johnson, titled the book, Finding Comfort During Hard Times, A Guide to Healing After Disease, Violence, and Other Community Traumas. Uh, not only does he share his experience with you, but it's all founded uh, on information uh, that he's received from other organizations, national, international organizations, um, plus personal experience from so much experience he's had during the whole course of his life. We just finished talking about everyday traumas, um, divorce, unemployment, that's certainly going on in the pandemic now, uh, murder, we've seen some of that happening in some of the larger cities, sexual abuse, unexpected accidental death, uh, death of a pet, and the age pandemic, which we want to talk a little bit before we, we end our program uh, this evening. Um, and uh, chapter nine is families and comfort. And we talk, he talks about, he writes about, excuse me, we're, we're talking about it now, but he, he writes about uh, children and disaster. Um, when dealing with a disaster, children develop resilience through the modeling of their parents or guardians. They deal with adversity with a sense of justice and fairness based upon their early formative learning. In pediatrics, the family unit is paramount in treating the child. A little bit later he writes, age-appropriate discussions need to be held with the children of disaster and those who witness these events on television or social media. Just as children have spiritual lives, they also have an elemental sense of justice and fairness and need to be spoken to with honesty and care. Children always need to be considered as a special population with their own maturity and emotional and spiritual needs. Amplify on that a little bit, Earl, if you would, please. Well, um, uh, when we were working on the psychological first aid curriculum um, in Washington, D.C., we uh, were working with a number of mental health professionals, and we almost had the uh, curriculum uh, set. And then uh, someone asked, what about the children? And I said, well, you know, children have spiritual lives, and uh, just as they have emotions, and and uh, uh, sometimes uh, children have a spiritual maturity uh, beyond their years. 
uh, and we need to talk to them, of course, in an age-appropriate manner, um, but they also need uh, to know that they're safe with you, they're safe with their parent or guardian, and that no matter how bad things are, you're going to get through this. Uh, there is hope um, because you are together, and and uh, uh, it's it's not about solely putting on a brave face. Um, it's it's about including um, your children in the discussions, but again, uh, not to scare them, but just to appraise them that you know this is a difficult time, and um, you know the family is going to have to make sacrifices, um, or uh, uh, you know we're going to have to deal uh, with the death of a grandparent, perhaps. Uh, along with unemployment, uh, any number of, of, of issues, uh, fear, fear of contagion. Um, but, but children absorb all of our stress. They're sponges. And, uh, uh, again, uh, we don't know how many children, you know, they turned on the television to watch the September 11th um activities and uh we know that that was potentially harmful um to those kids that were witnessing uh uh the fall of the twin towers and i can understand uh, why um you also write and include the perpetrator's family is in need of comfort and support we don't always think of that do we no and and we've seen some extraordinary models of forgiveness uh particularly uh, around the mother emmanuel uh shootings in in south carolina that uh um, the identity uh, of you know the the daughter of someone slain at the church is is not going to be how that person define themselves they they have forgiven um but again uh uh this goes beyond the the theory uh and into the practice and it is so unique to the individual and to circumstances and the appropriateness and uh uh it 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 just adds to the complexity of these disasters and um, you write, some considerations can be made to assist those who respond to critical events as they seek to care for those with profound, instant, unimaginable wounds. And the advice that you give, and again, I'm just reading a little bit of each of what are nine points in this list. Be prepared wherever you are. Knowledge lessons, anxiety, there's much more wisdom you add to this, that one, whether claimed as an act of war or criminal event, first things first, search and rescue before rescue and recovery. Terror may not be quote unquote random, orchestrated for maximum physical, psychological and spiritual pain. Disasters happen and combined with wars declared or undeclared injuries are physical, emotional, and spiritual. The physical wounds may respond to treatment and heal, but the emotional and spiritual injury, injuries may never completely heal. Um, it's important to remember those who have died. Ask 
their families and loved ones what they would like to have or plan. Do not exclude those who have lost the most. Be prepared for the second wave of response in these mass fatalities. Um, people are always afraid of those who are different. The key is to educate ourselves and learn to embrace differences. Um, amplify on any one of those points that you might like to. Well, um, it, it, we, we are um, part of the scarcity uh, that people feel at the moment and the fear that we fear of contagion of getting covid and and fear of you know being able to pay the rent or or uh, provide food um these are extraordinary issues um and 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 they beg for solutions um when you have 170,000 people who have died of covid you can't say their individual names um, but I applaud the media for taking two or three of them uh, each evening and telling their stories briefly um, on the on the evening news. Um, it 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 just if you're sick you're different, uh, and then it's like the the fear uh, that I'll get ill too, or or the the uh, prohibition. Uh, 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 visiting, uh, it, it all adds to the complexity. But um, I, I think I'm um, maybe getting away from the subject at hand. Um, but I wanted to include before our uh, conference, our, our uh, interview uh, concluded is, you know, we are all impacted by these disasters, but some are impacted more. And we had a whole generation of clergy that left uh, Oklahoma City after the federal building bombing. And many of them not only left the locality, Oklahoma, they also left the church. They, they left their vocations. And, and we are chewing up a generation I'm hoping that we're not, but the tremendous mental health and spiritual health needs of our care providers, our health care professionals, including our hospital uh, chaplains uh, that are dealing with so much mass death. Um, but as I say, some places it's much worse than others. But we have to be mindful uh, that we've got a whole generation of, of young people that have been traumatized and are dealing with loss and, and grief and pain. And how do we begin to deal with that? Well, we use our faith. We help people identify sources of hope, sources of meaning in their life. We help to remind them, you know, that how they got through a tough situation before, but this one may be tougher than any all of the others, but don't compare a disaster because, you know, we have the temptation of saying, well, AIDS was uh, horrible, Ebola was horrible, SARS was horrible, now COVID is horrible. These things just happen. Well, 
Not necessarily, um, because we're called. We're called to to help people mourn because the world is different now. The world has changed to the new normal, and you you have people dealing perhaps with loss of a loved one, um, uh, and it's it's. Uh, it's an extraordinary time. It's a very, very sacred time. Uh, Just as you are in a hospice with end-of-life care, um, you know, there are so many dynamics now in our medical centers with our healers, um, and uh, uh, we have to really, really watch them and see who may need a little more help, um, you know, than others because... uh, a lot of our new residents haven't dealt with this magnitude of death before. And that touches upon uh, your list of uh, ways to comfort uh, in the chapter on families and and comfort. Uh, say thank you to a policeman or fireman today. Um, express gratitude to helpers in the community. Clarify and illuminate hope. If it was wrong before the disaster, it's wrong during and after the disaster, children are not invisible and are impacted by disasters and need comfort. Do not impose your cultural norms on others with different cultural norms. Talk to children honestly, but age appropriately. Ask about someone's family with care and no judgment. And then in the chapter, last final chapter, is titled The Future of Comfort. And again, I spoke the first part of uh, these sentences before. We comfort, you write, because we comfort, because we care. We comfort because we love. We are the sum of our experiences that allow us and require us to comfort. That says a whole lot. We are the sum of our experiences that allow and require us to comfort. So I can look back in my own life at a lot of different moments, being 80 years old now, I have a lot of memories. Sometimes they're hard to remember, but nevertheless, some the, the real powerful ones you never forget. And I, I feel like what I learned so many years ago in that experience has expanded, and I've learned more from it today than I did even then. Oh, absolutely. And uh, as I say, uh, you you know, you're a living library, uh, like in uh, Japan, where they uh, uh, treat the elders with with great uh, sanctity because uh, uh, of the sum of your experiences. And, and, you know, just looking about, uh, you know, what has occurred and transpired uh, by way of disasters in Pittsburgh, the synagogue shooting, we would yes. be remiss uh, not to hold uh, those uh, families and loved ones in our prayers. Um, it, it just, uh, uh, it, it's a phenomena um, that I came to gradually, um, but, um, you know, it's been an honor uh, to have this sort of awareness uh, 
because I had mentors. I had people who took an interest in me and coached me or um, advised me to, to, to go or do certain things. And uh, as I say, it's another way of saying you love someone uh, when you encourage them. Um, but uh, if you're that person that said the kind word or urged someone uh, to continue on a life vocation or a path of service to others, um, it, it's it's just a, a, an extraordinary uh, uh, gift. And um, you write that you uh, couldn't have been one of the founders of Disaster Spiritual Care if you had not lived through the AIDS epidemic in New York City. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, I uh, had a number of friends getting sick, and, you know, people sort of one day they were there, the next day they were dead. Um, uh, The person who cut my hair, uh, the place where I bought my flowers, um, it it just... um, it began to be, uh, oh, my gosh, um, you know, what's happening? Um, how do you get this? Um, how is it transmitted? Um, should I touch a door handle? Uh, should I drink from a public water fountain? And, uh, um, um, you know, the Cabrini sisters, where I ended up being uh, the Protestant chaplain, they uh, were one of the first hospitals that took AIDS patients, even when everyone was scared to death, because they were they didn't know how it was transmitted, plus the population um, was suspect. Uh, it, it was primarily striking uh, gay men and uh, 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 blood recipients and Haitians. Uh, and so people ask me, well, uh, what's your preparation for disaster? I always tell them, well, how about the AIDS epidemic? Because that was a huge catastrophic disaster. And you you write, um, we can't prevent all disasters from occurring. They are part of life. But if we devote ourselves to these basic public commitments, all society will be improved and social justice championed and embraced. Alongside the four freedoms enshrined as freedom of worship, freedom from want, freedom from fear, and freedom of speech, this is my blueprint for hope. This is what I hope continues to be called, quote-unquote, America, and hope is sacred. In a disaster, a strong community with strong institution and leaders will hasten recovery even in the worst possible scenario, and that will comfort all of us. So we end our interview on on your blueprint for hope. So, um, Earl Johnson, thank you so very much for being with us and for this book. Father Ron, thank you. My pleasure. Finding Comfort During Hard Times. God bless you and all those you love. And you too. All right. Good night. Just have some uh, final thoughts that, um, and as I indicate, there's so much more here in this book than um, I'm able to cover. But don't I say that almost every week? Don't I? 
I probably should stop saying it, but that 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 is the truth. Even in two forty-minute segments, um, and I and I have an opportunity to select uh, the books that I that I want. Uh, some people ask me sometimes, "Is there someone who gives you the books you have to do?" I say, "No, they're they're the ones I want." But uh, when when Earl Johnson writes in the final chapter titled The Future of Comfort, he writes, If I hadn't experienced and valued the extraordinary gifts and opportunities that I have been given, how could I sit and companion those who have lost everything? Can't all of us say that? Um, There are those things in our memories. He continues, Finding and offering comfort starts in the good times during the joy and celebration of living in relationships and light and love, creating memories and cherishing them. Trauma accumulates and throws life terribly out of balance. Catastrophes are violent and unjust. Disasters take and destroy and erase. Responding to disasters is not for everybody, and he he made that point more than once uh, this evening. There are those who may be enduring illness or recent death and need to mourn fully and honestly. It's okay to say, no, now is not a good time. Sometimes I feel that I have spent 10 years at ground zero and that one more death will push me over the edge that in my woundedness, I can't tolerate one more death. We talked a little bit about that earlier in the program. There are times when even with intense clinical training, small group process and support, discipline, self-care, and expertise, and expertise, death becomes intolerable. Any death. And he continues, finding comfort is about our need to help other people. Finding comfort is about helping ourselves by helping other people. As a famous American chaplain once said, it's about being deeply enough connected with ourselves and the ground of being in capitals, referring to God then, that we are able to accurately take in the available information and use it with wisdom for the well-being of others and self. Even with profound faith, group nurture, prayer, and the support of a wise and seasoned team, part of our humanity is the realization no one is immune. Don't forget then how precious life is and how powerful love is. Tell someone now that you love him or her. Pray for peace as if it depended on you alone. Come back next Sunday and amplify with us.